The modern attack surface is vast and permeable, extending from the data center to the cloud and device edge. Security teams are stretched thinner and thinner as they try to cover this ground. The result? More high-profile breaches hit the news every day. Don't let your organization be next. ExtraHop delivers security from the inside out, helping enterprise security teams detect threats up to 95% faster and cut staff time to resolve by two-thirds or more. Act with confidence. Learn more at extrahop.com forward slash security weekly. Effectively securing your organization and its reputation requires a smarter approach. To maximize efficiency and minimize risk, security experts turn to Logarithm, the only leading solution built solely for security teams by a security team committed to your success. With next-gen SIM, user and entity behavior analytics, network traffic and behavior analysis, security automation and orchestration, and compliance, Logarithm provides security made smarter. Welcome back to Business Security Weekly. I am your host, Matt Alderman, joined by Paul Asadorian. RSA Conference 2019 is the place to be. From March 4th to 8th, San Francisco will come alive with cybersecurity's brightest minds as they gather together to discuss the industry's newest developments. Go to rsaconference.com forward slash securityweekly dash US19 to register now using the discount code 5U9SWFD to receive $100 off your conference pass. Security Weekly will be in Broadcast Alley on Monday and Tuesday of RSA Conference, recording uh, sponsored interviews and hosting briefings. To learn more or request time with us, please visit securityweekly.com forward slash conference request. We already have a number of requests already coming in. Uh, as we sent out uh, an email earlier this week, and and obviously a lot of people want to talk to us when we're there. So well, yeah, and I guess we should mention that uh, all of the briefings requests uh, for free briefings are uh, at our discretion. Yeah, we, we get go. To pick. Th- yeah, we've yeah. gotten a bunch of because we can't do every. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, everyone. we can't do every single briefing. Mm-hmm. But we've I, gotten, I'd like to believe me. Yeah, but it's just only we only so have much time so many slots in that yeah. two days. We're in broadcast alley, but we've got a lot of requests for briefings. I know we've got a number of sponsored interviews already scheduled. So people who have submitted patients with us, we'll go through that list and kind of finalize that as we get closer to the conference and get those booked. Sweet. Yeah. So let's get into our articles for this week. Uh, you know, I even had a couple extra days, but you, you, we said this yesterday on ESW. News mm-hmm. is kind of slow in some respects. You know, it I is. see a lot of repeat articles, so I try to weed those out. And even with the extra couple days, I'm like, man, it's hard finding some really good quality some, articles sometimes we've to cover. Gone, you know, the past 14 years, some weeks are better than others when it comes to yeah. news. I mean, it, it, we're really at the mercy of reporting the, the news. Like, right. it's whatever is being reported at that time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And for some reason, we're just kind of slow part of the year for us. But this first article is cybersecurity isn't just for tech people anymore. It's an article from MIT, the Sloan School at MIT, and what they're promoting really here is a, a new executive education course, cybersecurity leadership for non-technical executives. And, and really what the article is starting to talk about is cybersecurity is a responsibility of everybody. It's not just the tech people anymore. It's really anybody. And if you're an executive in, the, in, in, um, in your organization, you don't have a lot of technical background, They've got a course here to help you kind of learn some of the basics, but they also give some interesting tips um, on, you know, how to deal with some of that non-technical staff and try to make cybersecurity more of a kind of cultural 
fabric in the organization, which I think is something that's important because look, users click on the link and that's how a lot of breaches happen. Well, I mean, look, it's complicated, right? I mean, before we had the internet, running a business or law enforcement or government or whatever was not as complicated, right? We yeah. didn't, we had security issues, right? But they were, they were easier. It was usually to physical security it was issues, though. Mostly physical security, uh, computer security. A lot of, com if you go way back, they weren't connected. They weren't. To each other. No. Um, you know, they were, even if they were, uh, there wasn't as many people on the internet, people that were doing bad things, even in the early days. I don't think it was as much of a profit and revenue generation um, motivation, right? And slowly, it started creeping into organized crime. It started creeping into other countries, uh, you know, China, Eastern Bloc countries, for a lot of social and economic reasons, right, where we landed today. But I feel like way back when, it's not as much of a concern. So now we've got to play a lot of catch-up uh, where we're at today with security. And I think where this really um, was exemplified for me, not, and it could be an enterprise play because, yes, some of your physical security, as you said, Matt, does now tie into cybersecurity. In mm -hmm. fact, most of it pretty much does. You know, when there's a crime that happens anywhere in the world today, there's now new data that law enforcement can look at. And I think federal law enforcement has been a little more ahead of the curve in this aspect. Local law enforcement is... Getting it's, there. It's catching, it's catching up. They have made some huge strides. I think we still got a lot of work to do, but it is, it is catching up. In other words, if there's a crime committed, well, is there a Wi-Fi router around? Was that person's phone automatically associating the Wi-Fi router? Can that now give me evidence to say that a person was in a specific physical location where a crime occurred in addition to pulling camera footage? So, I mean, overall, in law enforcement, as an example, you got to be more technical. And I think it really ties back to your article. It's, it's not just for tech people. It's not. It's for law enforcement. Yeah. It's for executives. It's for it, people it's for working in a manufacturing floor, whatever the case may be. It's right? for my wife who, look, as we've gone through the digital transformation, mm -hmm. we are so connected yes. with everything. Every, everything we use on our phone in is the, an app. That the first time I heard this quote was like episode three or four of uh, Paul Security Weekly. And it was Mike Poor that said, Today, you're only a few milliseconds away from every attacker in the world on the internet. And, and, that, and that was even you know, 13, 14 years ago when Mike said that, and I think it might have been uh, you know, recycled by Dan Gear and maybe, maybe some others. And now today, the, it's the corollary. There's, the hacker, there's so many more attackers right. now. And, and so many more people connected. And they're, and yeah. they're milliseconds away from yes. billions of people on the internet every single day mm -hmm. interacting with their bank accounts and their social media accounts and mm -hmm. all the other things that are going on. And so this article does, you know, I, I think this was like a, a, a no-brainer, mm -hmm. but I think ha executives have to understand that this is pervasive across their entire employee base. This is not just about the security team. This mm -hmm. is really about all the employees. How do we help raise the level of understanding from a security perspective of what is going on out there? And you know, this, is, this course is supposed to help, it, but. Criminals are gonna latch on to the technology at, at their yeah. own pace, yeah. right? And by necessity, as older methods of crime essentially aren't as effective and don't scale as much. I don't know if you ever remember watching the, uh, the Sopranos. Did you ever watch the Sopranos? Yeah. There was a, one episode of the Sopranos where um, 
Chris, his nephew, was involved in this phone card scam, right? And it was like a new thing. And like Tony and the older guys were like, oh, it's making money. Like that's, that's cool, right? right? But it was some, and I, I wish I could remember the details. I got to go back and watch it because it's a good example of how criminals will latch on to back then a phone calling card was an important piece of technology in a sense. And they had some scam that they were, uh, you know, illegitimately making money. Yeah, off of that. And, you know, then like phone cards aren't really a thing anymore. So now you got to move on to the next thing. And that's, right. and that's the internet. Well, because we don't have pay phones anymore because everybody's walking around yeah. with one in their pocket. So what do you need phone cards for anymore? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, number two, I, I, this one was a little surprising. Boardrooms are still not singing the security song. And it's a survey, and I don't normally like to pull Is in. Is there a security song? Is there like an actual song? I, I don't oh, know. It's not just, an actual song. I don't think there's an actual it's song. A, that's like, a euphemism. It's Kumbaya, yeah. maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but I don't, and I don't normally pull some of these surveys, but I thought it was interesting data in that despite security top of mind, less than 50% of companies have a CISO position with a seat at the board, mm-hmm. which you know you would think with all the attacks, all the breaches, the onus, you know, even some of the uh, articles we covered a couple of weeks ago, you know, for the CEO, cybersecurity is top of mind. Mm-hmm. But yet the CISO doesn't have a seat at the board. So security still not always at that same level with other executives in the organization, even though people have security top of mind. It is an important component. We're still seeing less than, than 50% uh, board participation. I just think that's an interesting statistic. I know a lot of our listeners uh, in the CISO audience that we talk to, a lot of them do have that seat at the board, but there's still a number of them that don't. And, you know, I, I just, I still find that a little surprising based on where we are, mm-hmm. but there's, there's some numbers, mm. which is why I pulled this one in. Yeah, I thought we were further along. I thought And so I too. guess because we talked to CISOs that, may be more involved in in it's just kind of our view of the world and maybe we speak with CISOs and other business folks who are working for organizations that are more forward thinking when it comes to security yeah. but you got to step back and take that holistic approach yeah you got to look yeah. at everybody yeah. and, and, and this was a good kind of level set to yeah exactly to where we're at. yep um, and, and one of the things that it mentions in here is the stigma of security being the guys that always say no. And we've talked about mm-hmm. this many times. Yep. Uh, security folks have to work closely with the business, and it's not always about saying, no, you can't do that. It's about mm-hmm. how do we enable it and reduce risk and secure aspects of it so that we can get to a yes. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the, the points they point out here in this article is that stigma of security always being the group that says no mm-hmm. might be one of the reasons why they're not at the board level uh, in all these uh, organizations. Uh, my next article is uh, The Weird Approach to Leadership. It's uh, uh, Charles Towers Clark, author of The Weird CEO, talks about uh, his approach. It's some of the, the different ways of um, how, how to drive leadership. And, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree with all the things that are in here. It was an interesting way to think about leadership differently. Uh, there's a couple really good points in here. Uh, there's a couple things that may not work for everybody, but one of the things he said is, look, empower decisions down to your executive team. Let them make the decisions on a lot of the buying uh, and purchasing decisions. Enable 
the executive team. Don't make it a dictatorship, which I agree mm-hmm. with. Um, the more we can distribute that down to people, I think the better, uh, and allow those uh, executives in the organization to take more of a leadership decision-making role. But so I totally agree with that. And, and mm-hmm. that's kind of how we work. And that's how mm-hmm. we've worked at a lot of the companies we've worked with in the past. The one I didn't uh, agree with was take responsibility for your salary and budget, where he, he even recommends here, employees get to set their own salaries and they get to decide what their budgets are. I don't know that I would go that mm. far. I'm, I'm not quite sure that's the right answer either because everybody's going to want to put their like salaries at the highest it's a little extreme uh i agree with you matt i think that it needs to be a discussion you need to work together as a team on many different aspects all aspects of the business including salary and budget yeah i think that's it's the budget part i agree with i'm not quite sure about the salary side i think that gets a little tricky in a larger organization where employees kind of get to set their own salaries. And then he said, make them all transparent. So everybody knows what everybody's making. Yeah. I'm not yeah, sure. I'm not that, convinced, of that, I'm not that convinced on that one. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one point out of this article. I, I, I didn't mm. quite agree with budgets though. I think so. If you're, if you're in a leadership position, you're given the budgeting side, you ought to be able to make the decisions and, and how to drive that budget and, yep. and, and measure against that. Um, it's something, you know, I'm very, um, uh, transparent here, you mm-hmm. know, kind of our budget, our plan. I think it's good for people to yes. know where you are. I'm just not sure everybody having salaries posted on transparently is a good idea. Yeah, I agree. Uh, next one, four things to do before a tough conversation. We've all had tough conversations at some point. And this uh, article talks specifically about getting ready to uh, fire a person mm-hmm. and how he prepares for the conversation. Those things that, that he wants to prepare for uh, is part of, of having that conversation. And no, the first thing he says is, look, get your motives right. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Make sure you have the right motives for why you're taking the action you're going to have. Right. And just make sure you're comfortable with it. I think that's, that's a really uh, important part, right? You have to know what you're doing, what the motive behind it is. Yeah, I think that ties into one of his other points of, you know, get your emotions in check. Correct. Yeah, get your emotions. You're going to have emotions. Sometimes I like to let those play out in private, right? You run through the scenarios, get your emotions out of the way. You put those to the side. Then you get back to your motives, right? So I think his order is just maybe a little off. Right. Get back to your motives. Why why are you making this? Is it for what what benefit, right? And, and oftentimes it's just not a it's just not the right fit. Yeah, it's not. It but I think he's also saying on the emotion side is okay, once you know the motive of why you're doing this, get yourself emotionally ready because mm-hmm. there's gonna be emotions on the other side. Mm-hmm. And you gotta be prepared for those and not caught off guard when you're having that tough conversation mm-hmm. in order to do that. And and I so yes, that's that's very important. Uh gather the facts, obvious, you know, when when you're making these decisions. Make sure you know what your facts are, mm-hmm. right, and, and why you're doing this. It's, it kind of ties into that whole motive piece. And then I, what I thought was interesting was get curious, right, in, in that it, it, in the conversation, it's a, you need to be confident because you have your motive, mm-hmm. you have your facts, you got your emotions under control. But then he talks about curiosity and, and how that can actually offset uh, this. And I, I wasn't quite sure how this piece played in because I think if you go in with this concept of being curious or curiosity, you you potentially open a can of worms yes. that puts you in a really difficult position in that conversation. 
I'm not sure that I would pull this one out. Yeah, I would too because I'm because I like his last one, which I think kind of uh, supersedes the curiosity is get your facts straight. Right, get your facts straight, and so the, yeah, that curiosity piece. I'm like, yeah, you can open up a dialogue that gets you in a weird spot, weird spot. And, and it just I didn't agree. But with that I one. think in any situation when we talk about having the facts, uh, it's hugely valuable. Any any tough interaction where there's emotions at stake, where maybe there's a mistake, maybe there's an unfortunate situation, whatever the case may be, you got to have all your facts, right? Like what went wrong? Why did it go wrong? Clearly spell that out and have all the facts. Don't leave anything to imagination and spell out the facts. I think that's something I learned over the course of my 25-year career is... You, you got to have the facts. And I mean, you've, uh, you've seen that firsthand here. You know, if there's someone that's, you know, something, ha- things happen, right? I, when you're running a business, when you're running a team, could be a sports team, could be a business, could be a family, like shit happens. And it, troubleshooting, like just having all the facts is after you set your emotions aside, you, you got to have all of those indicators and facts. And, and to process that, I think is especially for a tough decision, yeah, super important. Super important. What happened? Why did it happen? And having all of those facts correct, super important. Agreed. We have lots of, lots of facts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. These last three articles all kind of tie together. Uh, and we've talked about aspects of this mm-hmm. already, but I, I kind of pulled it from a technology through the challenges, through maybe some solutions and it comes a lot of articles on artificial intelligence. It's just been one of those topics this mm-hmm. year. I just, holy cow. We get a ton. Every week, I see a ton of these, right? So the first article is more firms will integrate AI into the workplace. This is an extension of the Gartner article we covered a week or two ago. I think I did it by myself when you were out last week. You know, it's this extension of the virtual private assistance, but it's other AI techniques that are coming into the Mm -hmm. office place, into the workplace. And we're going to see this, right? We're going to see artificial intelligence being integrated into our tools and our processes Mm -hmm. to help streamline activities. We're going through the same process ourselves internally with a lot of our operational processes Mm -hmm. and streamlining. Artificial intelligence is going to kind of be that next evolution of, of how these things fit together. So that's, you know, that's Gartner's, hey, by 2021, uh, 70% will be using, you know, aspects of artificial intelligence of the workplace. Okay, cool. The second article then ties into IT leaders grapple with workforce skill gaps as they deploy AI and digital technology. Mm-hmm. So with all new technologies that start to get integrated into workplace, now people are struggling to find workforce skill, people with the skills to help deploy these new technologies, whether it's artificial intelligence or digital technology as part of this digital transformation, this is where IT leaders are continuing to struggle. And we've talked about this from a career perspective. You know, look, there, there are some really hot t- uh, areas for, for workforce skills. Um, AI, digital technology, cybersecurity, cloud, these are all really hot areas. So as people are looking to advance or move in their career, these are some of the areas people are really looking for resources and, and, and need the help out there. Um, so I thought that was a nice tie-in to the first one. Mm, absolutely. And then my last one for the day is um, 
recruiting data scientists for AI and machine learning. So this talks about the recruiting side of trying to find those, um, those people. And here they really talk more about um, recruiters, recruit recruiters. We had a really good recruiter at Tenable. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you need, remember Sean? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Sean's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Right. He was a. We had a. He was fantastic. We had mm-hmm. a really good team, and that recruiter really helped us go identify talent as mm-hmm. we were bringing it into Tenable. And the recommendation here is: look, go out and get yourself a really good recruiter. What I liked about Sean, one thing I liked about Sean, I mean, I like him as a person, but he was very engaged with everyone. He was engaged with everyone at Tenable. He was engaged with everyone in the security community. He was engaged with all of the people applying or thinking about applying. He was a very engaged recruiter, and I think that's one of the key factors to his success. And that's why they want you to have a recruiter, because they're going to build confidence with the recruit. Mm -hmm. They're going to build those connections into the industry, and it'll make them more connected to find those quality resources that you want to bring in into mm-hmm. your environment. Uh, obviously, it, it talks about uh, some diversification here, but there was a, a, a really good point down here about respect um, and really having respect for the talent. Again, in this space, highly specialized, um, probably pretty technical, and you have to build a level of respect um, during that interview process. You need to treat them really well because let's assume they come over, but they don't feel respected or they don't mm-hmm. feel like they fit in. Guess what? They're going to leave. Mm-hmm. And when they leave, now you've got to go out again. And, again and go through the whole process again. Good talent's hard to find, but good talent is also hard to keep mm-hmm. if you're not giving them that and that really good environment well, to stay you know in soapbox moment uh here for bear with me but i think that when we say that there's a skills shortage for cybersecurity, i think that's grossly overstated i think that we do a very poor job inside organizations defining the requirements for the roles that we have i think sometimes we feel like it's really technical and specialized when if we took a step back there's probably a lot more candidates for that job that have the right characteristics, which aren't necessarily skills. And we do way too much hiring of skills than for characteristics, personality, and a good fit outside of those skills. But the other thing I think we do a bad job of is we put requirements in there that may not be actual requirements. You yeah. must have a bachelor's degree. Why? Some of the smartest people I know do mm-hmm. n- didn't finish their degree. Okay. Or they have a degree in something or, or not in something else. That's which not is related, a, which is a good perspective to which have. Is okay. It's good to have diversification on your team if, in a lot of different aspects, uh, all kinds of diversifying male, female, all backgrounds, races, religions. Right, that's right. important. Also, people with different degrees. That's a good diversification to have. But also, the main thing I think is to hire for the character of that person yes. and the right fit for the organization. Yeah. It, Skills they, can always be learned. That's one of yeah. the characteristics that we look for that I think more organizations should look for is, is that person motivated to build their skills in the right direction? Do they have maybe some related skills and yep. they're a good fit? And they have I, a good background? I'll hire that person all day long over the person who has five years experience with that specific skill set 
And as we know in business today, there's a lot of things that could throw that out the window. Maybe we change gears and we use a different technology, yeah. right? right? That's one reason why you want to be hiring the right people based on character. Yeah, and, and I don't think a degree is a requirement necessarily yeah. to fill a position. And no. I think too many organizations make that a requirement mm -hmm. and you limit a pool of talent could easily fit that job description, right. but because they don't have the degree, you throw them out. And I, I just, I don't yeah. think that's right either. Educational institutions will require a degree. And in some of, uh, part of me, uh, I, I, can, I can see that, right? Like you're working for an institution that is providing degrees for other people. And when you come into certain roles in that organization, they like you to have a degree to be a representative. And I don't agree with it entirely, but I can see their point. Having said that, having worked at a university, I think one of the reasons I was hired there was not because of the experience I had with my degree, but when they started asking questions about my, my home lab and my experience, I was like, yeah, I have that set up in my home lab. That showed I had motivation with the right skill set, right. which to them was more important than the degree. The now, degree. the yeah. educational institutions will put that requirement in there, but I think, again, more important is motivation. And nobody goes back and looks to see what my degrees are anymore. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. way past that yeah. at my age. Yeah, now, I think initially it's, it's, it's a, one it's of those an initial things. Thing. It's, it's one like of those certifications and degrees yeah. are similar in that in that exactly. respect. Yeah. yeah, maybe maybe some certifications are required, but maybe not all of them are. I mean, I still maintain my CISSP. Do I use my CISSP on a daily basis, folks? The answer is no, yeah. <laughs> not anymore. I mean, it gives me a good background sure. for all the different disciplines in security. I maintain that certification, but... I don't need that to do my job I, today. It's more of a data point for me than a requirement, right? If someone did get a degree, it shows they can commit to something and finish. I think it's the same thing with, with a certification. Yeah. They can show commitment and that they uh, achieve something that they believed was beneficial to their career. I respect that. And it's a plus in, in my... Yes. Is it a requirement in all jobs? No. No, I don't think so. Mm. All right, folks, that's our articles for this week. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week on Business Security Weekly.